Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. Uh, we are broadcasting live from a community we're building uh, called the MedTech Talent Lab uh, LinkedIn community. So if you haven't heard about it and you are looking to hopefully give yourself a competitive advantage, whether it's on the hiring side or for yourself with your own career, feel free to join us. All you got to do is look up the MedTech Talent Lab on LinkedIn. And if you are a professional in the medtech industry, we'd be happy to have you here. But each and every Wednesday at 11 o'clock um, Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, we're hosting these live sessions. And then simultaneously, I have the privilege of continuously interviewing best-in-class leaders straight from the industry on all things talent-related, which you can check out in the podcast queue uh, pretty much wherever you consume um, your podcast content. Today's topic is about the importance and the how-to, uh, so to speak, of building trust uh, with candidates. So I want to start the show and and basically throw it out there and say, how do you know if you've built trust? How do you know if you've been successful in building trust with a candidate? Well, a couple surefire ways come to mind uh, for myself. One is they are open, they're honest, they're transparent, um, they're comfortable voicing their own concerns, and they're comfortable having uncomfortable conversations, meaning topics like negotiating their compensation or talking with you about where else they're interviewing and where your opportunity stacks up is surefire indications that, hey, there's some trust, there's some rapport that's built here. So with that in mind, why, why is this so important? Well, for pretty much the reasons I just stated, right? You want to have open, honest, transparent conversations so that you can hopefully reach your ultimate goal, which is closing more candidates onto your offers versus losing them to uh, competitors who have taken the time to build that trust, build that rapport. And I want you to think about this. Think about a candidate who's got two options on their plate. One organization has put the time and the effort into courting them. They've built trust. They've built rapport. Another one has seen them as a quote-unquote candidate and put them through a process almost like on a conveyor belt. And now the candidate is forced to make a decision about two positions that are fairly close to each other. Which one do you think they feel more comfortable with and more, more so want to gravitate towards, right? Pretty common sense uh, answer there. But um, I want you – I guess I want to dig into – some ideas I have as far as how to build this trust, and then we're going to open it up um, uh, to the group to have this conversation. Three ways that you can build trust with a candidate is, number one, do what you say and say what you do. If you say that you're going to get back to the candidate in 24 hours, make sure that you get back to them in 24 hours. If you say that there's only one more step in the uh, hiring process, make sure it really is one more step. Um, be honest and transparent. If there are concerns about the person's candidacy, tell them what the concerns are and yeah. give them an opportunity to overcome those concerns. Um, tell if, if there are competing candidates in the process, let them know, hey, we've got two other people that are in this process. Here's where we're at with the position. 
then you can ask them where, you know, if that's okay as far as their timeline, be open and honest and transparent. Um, if you're the hiring manager, take the time to review the person's background or their resume before you get on the call. Last minute, uh, rushing to print off the, uh, the resume from an email and then jumping on the call disheveled is a surefire way to not start off on the right foot, right? And we ask candidates to do their homework and prepare for interviews with companies. The exact same thing applies when it comes to uh, the companies, in my opinion. And number three, under-promise and over-deliver. Like I said before about getting back to somebody, if you tell somebody it's going to take 72 hours probably to collect the feedback from the group, but you really got it done in 24, get back to them. Go the extra mile when it comes to courting them. If there's things that you can do um, that stand out within your hiring process that, that have the wow factor, do it. Um, I would say over-communicate versus under-communicate. There's nothing that is going to uh, go wrong by over-communicating versus under-communicating. And I can't stress this enough. We've done these episodes week after week after week, and it sounds like I'm a broken record sometimes. But... The people who have a good uh, experience with your organization, whether or not they take your job or are awarded the job, are become your field sales force when it comes to promoting your company as to why people should work there. And the more that you can tweak your process to make it one that you yourself would want to go through, the more great vibes you're going to put out into the marketplace. And all of a sudden, you start to continue to build an arsenal of voices out there who are advocating for why people should join your organization. So just a few things to get us started. That was kind of my two cents up front. Guys, for those of you who are here live, again, thanks so much for being here. Um, appreciate the, uh, the conversation and the candor as always. Who wants to chime in and talk about building trust with candidates? And I guess maybe let's start first and foremost where you see it hasn't necessarily gone the right way and, and why you think that is. Well, I, I mean, I can start because I'm that candidate person. <clears throat> Go for and, it. Um, and, I, and I've said it before, is that when I am working with a recruiter, that's my ally. That's all I got. And Because I haven't met anybody yet. And I, I'm, I'm looking for honesty. I'm looking for, do you even know what the job is? Um, well, here's a JD. No, I asked you what the job is. And, you know, and, and do you, they, you know, and some, a lot of times they don't know it. I can tell when they haven't read my resume, like actually looked at it and read the words in there, <laughs> you know, maybe three words. I can tell because they're, it's like, oh, you just want a button seat. You don't yeah. really want me. <laughs> and then it's like, well, I'm done. You know, I try and get off the phone. It's like, yeah, 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 I got to go. You know, I'm trying not to be rude, but, you know, I have no interest in that. I need someone who is on my side. And, um, and I've been through a lot of that for sure. Everything you said is definitely spot on. Um, I've had people say, yes, I, I'll get back to you Monday and now it's Thursday. And it's like, how about just a text? Right. Hey, got busy. Something, you know, bug yeah. off. I don't like you anymore. Something, anything. Um, but you get nothing. It's like, what? so now I feel like I'm doing all the work. And, and like, do, which is fine. But my point is, why am I running after you? You're supposed to help me. <laughs> I need the help. I need the job, you know, and I, I've had, I probably had too many bad experiences than good, unfortunately. Yeah. And I pass on all the good. If I say, you know, like you guys, for instance, I have passed this, the name on 
in in and the um the LinkedIn at all to to everybody that I know who are consultants, and um and just for this reason too, you know I'm just a you know I'm just a worker guy. I'm not a you know I'm not a con you know a consultant or in your roles. What I'm saying, and I'm in this meeting. Maybe I shouldn't have been invited, but I come anyway when I can. But <laughs> you're always me, welcome. Really cool, you know. That's just really nice that I, I have that insight. Yeah. yeah, especially with the pandemic too, right? We saw so much hiring transition to being done all virtually. And so that trust is more important than ever Yeah, uh, when you're speaking to this person who's not in your same state, maybe not in your same country. And that's kind of that representative you have of who this company is. Um, and if you're going to accept a job for a company that you've only interviewed with virtually, um, that trust factor is, is huge and really important in that. It's a really good point. It's a really good point. Especially, yeah, it's a brilliant point, actually, just stopping for a minute and thinking how people are making life-changing decisions um, virtually. Sight unseen, yeah. Me, I mean, I've got, uh, we've got people on our team I've never met uh in person yet we're just gonna all get together for the first time um hopefully this winter for a holiday party but the, here we are we're doing our job of video it's kind of crazy yeah what else what about what about the other way what about companies uh folks here from organizations from a talent acquisition perspective what are you guys doing to build trust what are you seeing that's working why do you think it's so important um uh, to pay attention to I think, well, it's definitely important because people are going to choose an organization where there is trust. And I would say the same thing to a candidate that a hiring manager is going to choose a candidate when there is trust. I, I have spoken to so many candidates that as we get them prepared for an interview are worried about saying the wrong thing. Well, I don't have any experience in this. I'm worried they're going to ask questions. And my response is always the same, like that's the dream come true. Because if an, a hiring manager or an interviewer asks you a question that you don't have experience with, it gives you the ability to actually just say that and to start building that trust. And doing that gives credibility to everything that you've just said you can do, right? And the same goes true for a company that, we are recruiters. We are always going to be focused on the, the shiny silver lining, right? We're, we're always talking about the good. Um, <clears throat> candidates are going to ask us questions about stuff that might take us into the bad and ugly as well. If we're not honest about those challenging areas, they're not going to believe anything we have to say that's positive either, right? So um, I, I think building that trust allows people to essentially commit to, this is where I want to be. These, these are people I want to spend time with. And the, the easiest way to build trust is to simply be vulnerable and allow yourself to be vulnerable. You know, when candidates ask me a question that I'm like, oh, shoot, don't ask me this because you're not going to like the answer, right? <laughs> it's the same feeling. Like, well, there's not a lot of money in the bank. Uh, that's the, the stability may not be there. But, you know, here are all these other things to know. 
but I really believe that empowers a candidate to make the right decision for their lives, right? So in that, that example I gave, maybe, maybe stability is of a concern and coming off a layoff myself, that's probably a question that's gonna come up as a candidate more than it ever has. Um, but when uh, I get that answer, the answer might not be what I wanna hear, but my life situation might fit fine with it or someone else's life situation may not. So I, I think it's about making sure that this fit is a true fit and one that will last. We don't want to hire somebody who's going to leave in three months. Yep. Nobody wants to start a job and then realize it's not what they signed up for and leave after three months. So I, I think it's all part of trying to understand, is this where I want to work? Is this where I want to spend my time? So you know, much gold. I was just say real quick, so much gold to unpack there. There's two things I want to call out and emphasize. Helping the candidate make the right decision for themselves is immensely powerful to building trust because it goes back to a couple things. One, if it's not the right for, job for them, you're going to be back to square one again anyways. If somehow you're great and somehow you influence them to take a job that, that gets a wreck off your desk, but then in a couple of months, it didn't work. You're back to square one, right? Yep. But two, for the fact for them to feel that you have their back, whether or not it's your organization, just puts that much more, uh, um, what do they call it? Um, uh, you constantly want to fill somebody's bucket, right? You're constantly filling somebody else's bucket. You, you de make deposits instead of withdrawals, right? You're making deposits. So when it comes time for the withdrawal, the withdrawal is then passing on the great experience that they had to the right person that they actually probably know within their center of influence. So that's huge. The other thing about being vulnerable, you said something that a hiring manager, hey, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? We harp on this. There's, the, there's the two ways of, of going about it. One is I'm going to BS my way through it, and the person who actually knows more than me is going to see right through it, and all credibility is going to be lost. Or I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to say, you know what? It's a great question. I don't know, but here's what I'm going to do. To, here's what I would do to go find the answer. Because they're looking for that vulnerability and they're looking to see if you're resourceful. That's what they're really looking for. And any hiring manager worth their, worth their um, weight is going to push and push and push until they find where the gap in your skill set is. So that they know where they're going to be able to train and mentor you versus what you already know. So really, really good points there. Go ahead, Karen. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay because, uh, you know, what, what um, Nick was saying was knowing your audience, too, from the recruiting perspective, as in how, where are you in the job search? How many interviews have you actually done? Um, you know, I've got, you know, almost 23 years under my belt and what I actually do for a living. Okay, so now just let's just get to the, you know. So let's just get down to it, okay? I'm not going to sit there and mince words. I'm going to ask you, you know, it's very, just be straightforward. But maybe somebody who's new, maybe a little more kid gloves. And and to tell them, listen, just have confidence in what you know is is very powerful, especially for someone who doesn't have a lot of interview experience. And um, as to where it might be, hey, Karen, tone it down because you're overwhelming. You know, um, it, that's the truth that, you know, different people are, are looking for. And so knowing recruiters knowing their audience and being able to see that and go, okay, this is what this person's going to need if they're going to interview here is, is I know I need information like that because I pretty much talk the same to everybody. And maybe in this situation, it's like tone it down or whatever. And so I just thought that was, I wish that was 
Very good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because if you give the candidate this feedback that, you know, here's where they were concerned about, and there's usually like another interview step, and then you see the candidate takes that feedback, they go into that next interview, and they show that they listen to you. That's another point I do bring up to managers is that, look, they, you know, they listen to your concern. Uh, they retained the feedback and they went into the next interview and bam, they were completely concise throughout the entire um, interview. So that's another skill that they're showing that they can listen, yeah. that they can take that feedback and um, use it productively. So yeah, it definitely makes so much sense to always be preparing them for the interview. Um, like, like Nick was saying there too. Mm -hmm. The other piece of, of trust is, um, um, there was one other thing that you guys said, and I made a note too. Um, oh, we talked about being open and honest with them about concerns that the interviewing team might have with their candidacy and giving them an opportunity to overcome, just like you said. I think also putting them in a position to where they can feel comfortable enough to voice concerns that they have. I think a lot of time candidates, especially when it's not necessarily a third party recruiters involved, a headhunter, but more so direct between the company and the candidate. I think a lot of times they hold these concerns back because they don't want to, they don't want to affect their candidacy, but it's, it's a point of contention for them as far as their decisions they have to make. And so they feel caught in a catch 22, can some referring to where they've got these concerns, but they really want the job. They don't want to be discounted, but they won't take a job without getting their concerns addressed. So having that trust, I think is really critical for them to be able to open up to you. Do you guys have any experience with that or thoughts on that piece? Yeah, I was going to say that's crucial. And I think part of it is we can help them in, in the way our demeanor is or the questions we ask. You know, it's not like, uh, are you interviewing anywhere else? Like dot, dot, dot. Uh, yeah. Hey, we know you're in it. Where, where else are you interviewing? Open, open ended questions. Not do you have any concerns with that? You know, when you're debriefing. Hey, so what questions or concerns? What red flags came up? Uh, that we want to flesh out before we decide what to, you know, move forward. Take the pressure out, and, and you know, and be open ended, and just have grown up conversations. It, that's true. In my last interview that I had, which is a, a role I'm working right now, I had interviewed with three people, and I said, "Listen, I've heard some words, and I'm concerned about just some things. I just would like to address." And I said, "It appears that I, ha I uh, that this role would have support from these people, but I've heard some things that." give me concern or however I stated it, that senior management may not be supporting this. Is it going to trickle mm -hmm. down? And my manager told me that when you said that, I knew you were serious, hmm. that you were listening and that it, what the responsibility of the role was being taken very seriously. And I'm like, well, yeah, I could please you all day long, but if I don't get buy-in, what am I there for? I don't want to be at a job like that. And, and she just kind of looked at me like, well, are you going to be here for a while? <laughs> like, it's not what I meant for right now. I was just in my, in, in general, you know, if I don't know there's going to be support up and down the ladder, I, I don't want to be there. Yeah. That's a waste of my, you know, effort and energy and a waste for them. It's a waste of money. <clears throat> it's so easy for, for, it's so easy for companies to build trust with cans these days because there's such, there's such low hanging fruit out there. So many organizations fall down as far as doing what they say and saying what they do. That if you do, just by simply getting back to somebody when you say you will, puts you on a whole different playing field in their eyes. And so this isn't rocket science. It's it's being transparent. It's having their best interests in mind, even if it hurts, right? Even if it hurts your organization. 
doing what you say and saying what you do and uh, and treating the process for treating the process for the candidate as if you that's what this is. Why do you guys think that so many I know I have my own reasons, but why do you guys think so many organizations have a hard time following through on what they ideally say is their process or want their process to be, but show up in a different way? Well, maybe it's the ridiculously and unrealistically high rec loads that TA generally has. You exactly know, what I was going to say. Yep. 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 recs. Like, it, it, you just, it's just setting the process up for failure. Um, and I know that's something that I fight super hard for my team because I know that this level of building trust and integrity, like Heather's got a brilliant, many brilliant stories, but one that comes to mind is, you know, she had somebody that I think was declined for two or three roles and in a perfect, I mean, this person, I mean, Heather, you can tell the story, but anyway, long story short, the perfect role came up and she was able to instantly close them. But, I mean, kudos to the candidate too. Like that goes to show as well that, you know, this person ha had the confidence in themselves. Um, and like Mitch and everyone here is saying, um, it, it was that whole recipe of, yeah, not um, over promising what you can't deliver on, um, always picking up the phone and talking to them directly versus just having it all be via email. And every time I declined this person, which yes, it was three times, there was always a little bit of that catch 22 with, you know, he was, this person wasn't the most experienced in the world. Um, you know, I made a personal call every time and I told him very honestly that, you know, I, I do think, you know, you'll give us another chance. I do think that there will be the right fit come up. And sure enough, yeah, the fourth opening that came up, it was actually the perfect mix for what the person actually did want to do. Um, and yeah, they've been with us now ever since, you know, at least over five years or so. Yeah. And this is, you know, I think it goes back to what Karen said in the beginning that when you're, when you're engaging with internal, you know, recruiting, we're your advocate. You know, we, I think that we play a really special role of being an advocate both for um, the candidates as well as the business. And I've said it once, I'll say it a million more times, the most, one of the most valuable resources that you can give to a recruiter is time. Time to build the relationships, time to understand the roles, time to understand the talent that they're engaging with, what, who they are, what makes them tick. And then that way we can go and be these great matchmakers and help, you know, our, our goal is to help them find that next sweet spot in their career, that next awesome step, right? We can't do that if we've got 70 recs. And I'm gonna appreciate you being, uh, oops, sorry. Go, go ahead, Nick. I, I was just gonna take a stab that Heather did not use an automated email to reject the candidate the first three times, right? So we talked a little bit about the importance of communication, but it's not just the cadence, it's also the quality. And I'll never understand, now I get it, an applicant you haven't spoken to, that's fine. They can get the you know standard uh, no thank you letter, but 
when I, what I imagine, because I don't work with Heather yet, um, but at some point she had that conversation that specifically, why is this not a fit? Why they still love her and would love her to consider other positions within the company. She did the work, right? And so um, you can't just over communicate and assume you'll be good. You, you also have to think a lot about the quality of that communication, the quality of the relationship that you're nurturing. Yeah. right? It's being a, a decent human being and showing that you care about the other human being that you're interacting with. You know, you talk about being vulnerable and I won't get off on a Brene Brown kick, but I think that that is, it is truly the a key ingredient of that secret sauce of building candidate trust. I appreciate you being real. You know, this is not all um, uh, uh, roses and sunshine as far as the reality that we all live in and especially internal talent acquisition uh, leaders and recruiters that you got the work many people are overloaded and i do think it's a real big problem because here we are boasting about how important it is to do what you say and say what you do and run a great process and then you break it down to the reality that if somebody's working on 60 different positions internally and they're responsible to let's just say three four cans a piece that's almost 200 people, let alone the internal responsibilities that they have to their own group and their mm -hmm. personal lives. So I think it's important to call this out because this is the reality of a lot of talent acquisition uh, groups across the country. Question is, what do we do about it? Because we still have to build trust with candidates. We still have to put out a, a good presentation, representation of our organization to have a good uh, vibe in the marketplace. What is the answer? In my opinion, one of the answers is there probably should be another uh, support mechanism in TA that handles a lot of the communication between the steps in the, in the interview process. Some companies call it recruiting coordinator. A lot of recruiting coordinators simply means that they're scheduling the interviews, not necessarily delivering feedback. I feel like something does need to be tweaked because I don't think it's fair uh, to, to put the blame on people when, when you start to break down what they're responsible for is a lot more than most people. So... What do you say to that as we wrap this conversation up? I'm, you know, I'll, I'll put in my not two cents, probably $5 worth, but I think that that's really on HR and talent acquisition to look at the data. Um, you know, I go through this all the time and understanding um, my leadership, my executive team and how they think and what, makes this problem meaningful for them. You know, case in point, I've got one leader. Um, he's never hired as long as he's been here. And he's just had a role open that Heather and I are now working with him on and talking with him about some of the challenges and things like that. Well, he's a CFO. He thinks in numbers, he thinks in money. Whereas, you know, my R&D leader might think differently. And so it's about looking at the end result are we not closing and like what's our offer close um, rates if it's like 60 70 80 percent for me that's not good enough um and you know we can't win them all for sure but that's when i can bring the data to the leaders and say look we can't do this with this many people and this many openings here's why and here's what it's costing us you know, the old Jerry Maguire, show me the money, right? Um, so, but that's a hard conversation to have. And, you know, going back to our, our last week's chat, having those hard conversations 
we have to advocate for ourselves. Nick, you look like you got something going on in your head too, because you and I always. <laughs> yeah, you're making me laugh because of, of, of all of these situations, I think the biggest thing, uh, biggest frustration for me is when recruiters are put over capacity. And so I'm a big believer in using data. I always, whenever I pick a new position, immediately build out a capacity model because what one recruiter can recruit in one company might be totally different, depends on the process and a thousand other variables. But my experience has been once you cross that threshold of capacity, it's not a linear drop in terms of the outcome. It's it's parabolic. So you can be 10, 15 percent over over capacity, but your success, your clothing, 50 percent of what you would have at or below capacity. And so it's it's something that I am aggressive about making sure that if we have more positions than recruiters, then we need to bring in contract recruiters to, to take the, the burden because the reality is this entire conversation, none of it can be done if you're working with 60 recs and you've got a heavy, thick process, right? You can't build trust. You can't communicate quality. You can't communicate often. You can't do any of the things that you're going to need to get candidates to accept. And it's just a waste of time, right? So uh, that's a big pet peeve of mine. Um, so I'm very much with you, Shannon. <laughs> Guys, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you to everybody who's here live today. Um, make sure to tune in next week, Wednesdays at 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, where we host these live sessions on a different talent topic each week. Be sure to check out all the other great episodes of the MedTech Talent Lab podcast wherever you consume that content. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.